Welcome to the 6AM Run Podcast. My name is Mark Paisant. I'm an avid runner, a certified personal trainer, a 6AM Run ambassador, and host of the show. Be sure to head over to the website, 6AMRun.com, to sign up today to get 20% off of your first order. Now, let's start the show. Hello, welcome to another episode of the 6AM Run Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Paisant. Always a pleasure to have you a part of the show. We have a good one for you. Um, I don't think I've ever had a uh, certified positive intelligence mastery coach, and um, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Of course, there's a lot more that she does, but before we get started with Natalie, as always, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to that website to sign up to get 20% off of your first order, and I don't feel like me, if you're on Facebook and Instagram and all that good stuff, you've probably seen a few more ads out there. We've got some favorite flavors that have come back and some new apparel. So go and check it out. So we have Natalie Feynman on the show. That is F-A-Y-M-A-N. Look her up. Natalie, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself for our audience? Gosh, you've done such a great job already. First of all, thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here on your show. And uh, so as you mentioned, I am a positive intelligence coach certified, and I have also done additional training, uh, which is the mastery program. So I have, in addition to the time that it takes to get certified, I have done an additional six months of very deep, intensive work. Um, So I have fully embodied the, uh, the work that is positive intelligence. It has changed my life. And I am seeing it change other people's lives on a daily basis. So um, that that is my inspired calling that uh, that is bringing me onto your show today. And I love that inspired calling. I think I'm going to start using that because I think it's so it's it's such a, a a good phrase to use. But before we get into the work that you've helped other people people with, you have your own kind of story, your own kind of, I don't know if life-changing is the right phrase, but maybe kind of getting you back on track, kind of talk about your history because you have, there. there's a fitness journey in there, of course. There is um, a journey where, I, I love how you said in the, uh, the video you have on your website, where you learn to be empathetic towards yourself. And I think not enough people understand how important that is, but kind of talk about your journey to get you here. Uh, honestly, I have come to realize that self-judgment is the root of all evil. Self-judgment is responsible for so much of our suffering, so much of our unhappiness. And that that is why I love the work that I do so much, because it is it is all focused on creating empathy for yourself, which I think a lot of your viewers or a lot of your listeners probably feel no problem at all giving empathy away to everybody but themselves. We never we never keep it for ourselves. We always judge ourselves so harshly. We hold ourselves to a completely different standard than what we expect from other people. And it's it's really 
a form of abuse that we that we inflict on ourselves. It's toxic, it's it's damaging, and it it really undermines everything that we try to do in life. So this this is the essence of the work that I'm doing now. What got me here was um, back in 2019, I, ha- I had had a pretty significant problem with my weight for most of my life. Uh, I, was, I was working in a very high stress profession and I was soothing myself with food and I was just, you know, I was a very unhappy, lonely, stressed out, miserable person and food was the only thing that made me feel better. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to a story like that, but I had, you know, tried every diet, failed at every diet, just completely miserable, seeing nothing but more of the same in my future. And I just by complete accident stumbled across a weight loss group that was led by a life coach. And I was like, well, I've never tried this before. So I, I joined thinking, okay, she's going to teach me something new, how, how to lose weight and, and why all these other diets never worked. Well, I learned so much that I never expected to learn in, in that group. I learned that it was all down to the way that I was managing my emotions. I never really thought of myself as an emotional eater, uh, but of course I was managing my loneliness, my anger, my frustration, my stress. Everything came down to food. I was using it to, to keep myself company, to entertain myself, to help myself relax at the end of the day. And um, it was... It was really eye-opening to me to what extent I was using food to manage my own emotional state. And of course, that led to the weight gain. And this is why diets never work for me, because diets, they'll tell you what foods to eat, what foods not to eat, how many calories you can have, does absolutely nothing to help you with the the low self-esteem that is driving all of it. You know, the, the, the self-worth that's in the toilet, the emotional pain, the frustration, the depression, all of these things that were what was causing me to sabotage myself. Um, you know, the, uh, the diet of the week is not going to help you with that. So completely unexpected for me, I learned how to manage my emotions. I learned how to dissipate my stress. I learned how to reframe my expectations for other people's behavior and as I became calmer and happier and, and created better skills and better ways of managing my emotions, the weight fell off by itself. Like I wasn't even paying attention to my weight anymore because all these other things I was doing were just so incredible. I was becoming a happier, calmer, less stressed out person. All my relationships got better and the weight loss was like an unintended side effect almost. So this is the thing that really stuck with me is it's so much a mindset problem and not at all a calories in calories out problem. So this, this is what inspired me as I, as I saw my own life changing and I saw the lives of all the other people in this group changing for the better. Uh, I realized the potential, what coaching can do for people. And it, it just goes so much deeper than I ever realized. And so uh, as I looked to my own future and thought that, it looked pretty dark and pretty miserable. Uh, I just didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine a better way of spending the rest of my life than helping other people experience the same emotional transformation that, that I got to experience. So that's what brought me here. And first, before I even, you know, respond to that, congratulations. Like, that's awesome. Thanks. Thank, I mean, great job uh, getting to where you're at. And I, 
you know, I, I see the before and after pictures and, and I heard something and I think this is this is a perfect time. I heard something, I believe, either today or yesterday about the concept of identity and how it's fluid and how we think we understand how people identify themselves or how they identify others. Kind of talk about before you walked into that that weight loss specialist that was that was a life coach before you did that, before you were the person you are. How did you identify? Like, were you just the person that was, I'm going to do everything I can to hide this weight that is making me feel terrible about myself? Are you the person that's just like, I'm going to be the happiest person in the room to kind of balance how I feel? Like, how did you identify your, yourself at that time? I was the person whose wants and needs and dreams were at the bottom of the list. I was the person who was less important than everybody else. And the only value that I saw in myself was in what I could give to other people. So I worked 70, 80, sometimes even 90 hours a week. I gave up my vacations. I, I gave up a lot of my personal relationships because my boss needed me and you know they couldn't get along without me at work so i would drop everything i, I sacrificed my entire personal life um for 30 years I, I refer to this 30 year period of my life as the black hole because all i did was eat sleep work and my whole family forgot who i was because they never saw me they never heard from me uh, i did incredible destruction to my own health after chronic sleep deprivation sleep i was sleeping an average of three maybe four hours a night and uh, you're never really doing anything to rejuvenate myself. And, and obviously my, my weight was ballooning out of control because that was how I was trying to make myself feel better at the end of the day. That was how I was trying to give myself energy when I was exhausted. Um, I, I just didn't feel like I had any value. And so I had to earn the value or, or the respect that I got from other people. I had to prove that I was worth something by working myself to death and by making sure that everyone else was taken care of and except for myself. Mm. And that, that has shifted fundamentally. And that that's really what has kind of led me to this midlife crisis that has, has brought me into life coaching. Well, everybody's midlife crisis was, you know, turning around and helping others be better than, than everybody should, should go through that. Well, um, I, t and I told, I totally understand like, I know people use those words a lot and I understand what you're, but I totally understand because I was there with you overweight and trying to make a name for myself and figuring I, I don't have to worry about what I'm going through. I need to just make sure other people are taken care of. But now that you have, and I love the fact that you use the word reframe, now that you kind of reframed it, because at the end of the day, you felt at that time that you were going to do for others, but you were, were doing little to zero for yourself. And now I can, I think it's safe to assume that you have found out that you can do for others, but you can also do for yourself. And so when you, in this journey that you're on now, and you meet somebody who walks you through their life and it's like, oh man, I've heard this story before. Like this was my story. How does someone start, as you said, that reframing process of making sure that they give themselves a little grace they show themselves a little empathy. They make sure that their feelings are validated and they don't put everyone's needs and wants before their own. How do you kind of start that journey with someone else? It really starts with learning to recognize that you are worth your own time and your own energy. 
that you don't have to serve other people 24 seven and sacrifice so that other people can get what they want where you don't get anything that you want. It's, it's when we don't feel valuable in ourselves that we feel compelled to serve other people so that we can earn that value, so we can earn the love, the respect, the appreciation that we want, which is, in my opinion, that's a kind of a dead end road into frustration and resentment because you're never going to get back from other people what you're putting into them, what you're hoping to get back from them. Um, it's just you, you can't get self-worth from anybody but yourself. It can't be earned. It can't be, it can't be worked for. It can't be, it can't be bought. You have to create it for yourself. And that is really where the work starts. Believing that you are worth it, worth the effort, that you have value without, without having to do anything for it, that you were born worthy and nobody can take that away from you. So here's, here's an example. We, the way we define ourselves so often comes down to what we do. We, you know, I, I'm somebody's wife for the last 30 years. I've been, I've been a teacher or a lawyer or a, or a whatever for 35 years. And this is how I define myself. I'm a wife, I'm a mother. And then there comes a time in your life when those things start to change. The kids grow up and move away or your relationship splits apart. Either, you know, your spouse leaves, passes away or whatever the situation is you retire from your job or you get laid off from your job. And all of a sudden that thing that you defined yourself to be isn't there anymore. And all it's, it's for a lot of people, it's like all of a sudden the rug is just yanked out from under them because they don't know who they are if they are not that thing. And this happened to me with, uh, with martial arts. Actually, I had been a martial artist since I was 14 years old and that is how I define myself. This is, this was what I was passionate about. This is what I thought made me cool, made me interesting, made me, you know, somebody to, to hang out with. And back in 2008, I, uh, I tore my ACL and then I was off the mat for a good six months. And I went through such a depression because I couldn't go to the dojo anymore. And I, I wasn't that cool, interesting person that got to beat up on all the guys and, and do all this cool stuff. And I found myself using food as I always did to, uh, to try and soothe that emotional pain until I find, you know, I finally came to realize that it's not what I do that defines who I am. Because what I do or, or the life situation that I think is what's making me happy, those things can change on a dime. As we all saw with the pandemic, things can change with no warning whatsoever. And you have to have a way of defining yourself that cannot be taken away from you. And that can only come from inside. So what I, what I came to realize as I kind of worked myself through this is it's not the martial arts that defined who I was. It was the, the, the personal qualities that I have that made me good at martial arts, that made me just so inspired and so passionate about martial arts. It was my, my tenacity, my willingness to, to do hard things and to take risks and to just push myself and, and to work towards a long-term goal. All of those things, those are who define who I am. And even if martial arts goes away and I can never train again, I still have all those things and I can take them with me no matter where I go. And I think that is, is, it's something that I don't think enough people 
either understand or hear enough that, and you're absolutely right. Like the, the moment we meet each other, somebody knew, oh, I'm, I'm Mark. I, I, I do this or I do that. Or I, this is what defines me. This is who I am. This is what, and it's, it's like all that could change tomorrow. All of it could change tomorrow. And, and sometimes we need to just take a step back and, and think about that, that question on what defines us, what truly defines us as, as a human um, as a man, as a woman, as a person who, who is invested in this world. So a lot of the stuff that you, that you deal with either in your past or now, um, has a lot to do with, with stress. And just so people understand there's good stress and there's bad stress. Like we, we do need stress and I mean, we need it. And I don't know if you've never been through stress in your life. I've never had a time where I wasn't in some state of stress. Stress was my life for a good <laughs> yes. 35 years. Exactly. So, but stress often leads to burnout more than it's like, not should, but more, I mean, burnout is something that is becoming way too common in our society where people are doing the exact same things you were talking about, where they're putting others first. They're thinking, more, I could do more, I could do more on less, I could do more on less. And then that that less becomes nothing and they're pouring from an empty cup. So I want you to kind of talk about how you help people with burnout, because this is something that, let's be honest, a lot of parents, even a lot of school age kids, like I hate to say it, but some, you know, high schoolers and college kids are showing signs of burnout so young in their life. But how do you help somebody? One, how do you help somebody identify burnout? Because we're so, we're very late to identify it. And two, how do you help somebody just kind of work through that burnout and kind of get themselves back to where they were? Yeah, it's definitely a process and it doesn't happen overnight. But I, you know, I have to remind people that we all have the same 24 hours in a day and it's up to you to decide how you prioritize that time. So if you are trying to drive three kids to three different places at once and work a full-time job and then have a side gig where you're starting your own business and you're working into the small hours of the night, something's got to give. You, you can't manage all of that at the same time. So it sometimes will have to come down to what is it that's going to be most impactful for improving the quality of your life and prioritize that. And a, a mistake that I think a lot of us make is, you know, when we want to make a change in our lives, we, we do all the other things that we usually do first. And we say to ourselves, well, I'll do this other thing later when I have time, but you never have time because things keep popping up. There's always distractions. There's always new demands for your attention. And unless you prioritize that thing, that's going to move the needle forward, it's always going to get pushed to the back burner. So scheduling what is most important and most impactful to you to to be done during the prime hours of your day when your energy and your creativity are at its best usually for most people that's first thing in the morning and then everything else gets scheduled around it otherwise it's just never going to happen and with the burnout factor a lot of that comes down to recognizing when you're giving too much and giving yourself permission to say, I can't, I can't do any more than what I'm doing. My boss is asking me for all these things. I can only be in five places at once. Something has to give. So it comes down to boundaries and, and how much are you willing to give of yourself 
when it's not something that's actually going to be helpful for you. Um, recognizing burnout really comes down to paying attention to what kind of emotions you're feeling mo th throughout throughout your day. If you're angry, you're tense, you're, you're frustrated, you feel exhausted when you get home at the end of the day. I mean, this was me for 35 years. I barely had the energy to change my clothes and go to bed when I got home at night. Um, and it's such a night and day contrast. When I get home from my job, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm replaying in my mind, all the things that went wrong, all the things that made me mad during the day. And I feel like I have run 12 marathons. And at the end of the day, when I am doing something that I'm inspired and passionate about with, with coaching, coaching people, it doesn't matter how long I'm working. I feel more energized. I feel inspired and uplifted. And I feel privileged to have been a part of, of helping someone else create positive change in their life. That's how I know which direction I need to take my life in. I want to follow the positive energy, not the negative energy. And that is, and like you, like you said, you preface it with, it's not going to happen overnight. Like literally right. it's not good. You didn't get yourself into this overnight. So right. don't expect it to happen overnight. But I, I think, um, and I'm kind of speaking from personal experience here. Cause I have explained on my, my other show, relatively normal, my, my burnout a couple years ago and, and how, you know, I remember leaving finally on time at work one night and going in the next day and finding out that the place didn't burn down. Like nothing bad, nothing bad happened. It was like eye opening for me. And it, it had to go to that. It had to go to that extreme where I was like, wait a second. I don't have to give every waking moment of my day to this place ever again. And, you know, did I fall back a couple times? And yeah, of course I did. But again, it's that. And one thing that, as you're saying what you said, um, the people have to understand there is that mind-body connection. Of course, when we're stressed, we tense up, shoulders gets, everything tenses up, but the, the wanting part of the, of the brain is a lot stronger than once we get. So for the most part, if we're promised something at work, if you're going to get, the, if you keep working hard, you're going to get the promotion. You're going to get that raise. You're going to, oh, they're going to have, like, you're going to get this award, everything that want, 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 our brain is firing. We're all over the place. And that keeps us, that stick keeps getting longer and longer. And that carrot keeps getting smaller and smaller. So now with the work that you do, you have that person that says, you know what, Natalie, I hear what you're saying. Sounds great. But this is my duty as a mother, as a father. I understand I have three kids. I have to get three different places. I know I have this job. I, 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 I know what you're saying. But I just don't have the, t like people depend on me. If I can't let them down, you know, and... I think it's full circle to what you said about other people's perception of us affects our self-esteem. But you have that person that says, Natalie, I want to believe you. I want to work with you. I want to do these things. But people depend on me. I can't let them down. How do you approach that? If the level of energy output that you are expending to take care of everyone else is not something that you can keep up for the next 20, 30, 40, 50, however many years, then it's unsustainable. And if those people really need you, 
They need you to be the best version of yourself. They need you energized. They need you positive. They need you healthy. What happens when you develop an, a, uh, an autoimmune disease because you're so stressed all the time or you have an early heart attack? Those, those people are going to need you to be healthy. And so if you want to be around to take care of them for as long as possible, you have to take care of yourself. And it's not an option. So again, it comes down to, do I really have to go to all of these little league games in, in three different places every week? Is this, is this really something that is going to help me be the best version of myself for my family? So it, there's only so many things that you can cram into the day and you have to prioritize the ones that are going to get you closer to where you want to go. Other See, people I are going to keep asking. Ask, yeah, I want to. I, I don't mean to cut you off. But I, I, when you're talking about that, do you believe that people have unrealistic expectations of themselves? Oh, 100 percent. I know I did. I thought I was a superhero that never needed to sleep and never needed a day off and could do the work of five people every day. And for a while I did. But then all of a sudden, one day I couldn't keep my car in a straight line on the road anymore. And I actually fell asleep standing up talking to somebody outside uh, on the front sidewalk. And I realized I'm going to friggin' die if I don't do something different. And I don't want people to get to that point before they have that realization. We, we do not want anyone to get to that point. And I, <laughs> I know, I know you, you can, I, I know you can laugh about it now, but at the same, like when at any point, and I know you, we barely touched on it a little bit at the beginning about your, your physical journey, how you've lost the weight and become healthy. Like at any point, did you get a checkup? Did you even have time for the doctor? Did the doctor say, Natalie, you got to take care of yourself? Or was this like, I don't have time for that. I have stuff to do. No, I mean, I, I'm a medical person. So I saw the changes in my blood work. I could, I could interpret that for myself. And, you know, with the, with the healthcare system, the way it is these days, doctors have what, three minutes to spend with you. Mm -hmm. They don't have time for those conversations. So uh, when when one of them told me that I might need to go on a statin, that was that was kind of my wake up call. And um, I'm personally not a big believer in taking a drug when changing your lifestyle habits could work better with fewer potential side effects. But um, you know, back to the the whole unrealistic expectations thing. Uh, you know, the way I look at it is. It's not anybody else's responsibility to decide when you have given them too much or when you have done too much. It's your boss's job to get as much work out of you as, as possible and compensate you as little as possible. And everybody that you're, that you're giving, giving, giving to, they're used to getting, getting, getting. And it may have never occurred to them that you're hanging on by a thread or that you can't keep this up much longer. It's not until you start saying no that people finally realize that, wow, you know, there's maybe she's, she's dealing with too much. People don't respect a doormat. And if your default answer is always yes, it's not, it's not valuable. It's an expectation. So when you start saying no, people actually start to value your time more. This is, this is something that I didn't learn until much later in life when I started saying no to people and all of a sudden they started treating me better. Yeah. Because you started valuing your own time. That's yeah. what happened. You started valuing your own time, valuing your own emotional state and people catch on to that. Like it, it, 
and this, I, I don't want to sound harsh, but because I used to be this person, but the person who continually says yes, continue is available, even though they will, they have their own thing to do. Like people will continue to ask you because they know you will be their first choice and they won't have a backup because they know you will continually mm -hmm. say yes. Yes. Uh, it's a lot less work to come to you because you always say yes, rather than try and figure out how to do something themselves. Oh my goodness. That yep. is, that is absolutely correct. So <laughs> that is absolutely correct. But I mean, so there, there is that fine line. There's that fine line between a person who is willing to do for others and then that people pleaser. There's a very fine line there because, you know, if I'm willing to do for others, like I, I, I understand how the world works. I have social connections. I have friends. I have people I care about. But at the same time, I can, you know, bat, like I, I do all the time. Like if it's if if it doesn't involve like me or my kids or something that 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 is with <laughs> that that happens to me directly. Like I try to back away from it because I don't want to step into things that are going to blow up in my face. But then on the opposite side of that, of that line is the person who is just hoping that everyone is happy with them. Oh, I, I have to do this. That's when it becomes toxic. Yes. Talk about yeah. that real quick. Yeah. So people pleasing is all about getting people to like you by doing things for them and helping them and rescuing them and saying nice things and not hurting their feelings. And at, at its heart, that is... It's a manipulation for one thing. You're trying to change the way people think and feel about you by doing things for them when that may not necessarily be your authentic self. And it's 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 coming from a place of low self-worth. You are not worth them caring about you, respecting you, loving you, whatever it is, unless you do something to earn it, unless you keep them happy, unless you keep performing for them. So... There's, there's a way to tell the difference between genuinely giving out of, out of um, a, a sense of love and caring versus people pleasing because you're hoping to get something back in return. And it really just comes down to what's the core emotion. If I give something to you and I expect nothing back, it's just because it makes me happy to give it to you. And I have no expectation that you're going to do anything for me in return. And I am not exhausted. I am not frustrated or resentful. I don't say yes with resentment when I really wanted to say no, because I feel like I have to. That's, that's when it's true generosity. But the minute I start saying yes, because, you know, grudgingly, and but I, I don't really want to. And, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, you're really imposing on me. And I, but I don't feel like I have a choice. Now I have this, this negative undercurrent of, of, of resentment and, and frustration. That is, that is the line. And we, we almost never pay attention to that. Sometimes I don't even realize what kind of emotional state I've been in until the end of the day when I have a second to breathe and just kind of like re-examine what's, what's happened to me all day. But this is an ongoing process as, as I'm learning where, where is that line where I can give and feel feel like it's a privilege for me to give. And then beyond that, I feel like this is taking away from me. This is taking time and energy that I'm not going to have to myself. So one thing that I always tell people is when, when you say yes to something, 
you have to say no to something else in order to make it happen. Because again, only those 24 hours, if I'm going to put something else in there, I'm going to have to put, I'm going to have to take something out so that I can make time for it. So when, when you're saying yes to something, what is it that you're saying no to in order to make that happen? That is, I think that's a great analogy for people to use or metaphor or simile. I'm, I, I'm so far away from school. I couldn't tell you which one it is, but I, it's something good <laughs> that, that people should use, but you know, and you talk about this a lot or a good bit, you know, those people that are, that are trying to get a lot from us or we're trying to please her a lot of times they're in our own families unfortunately mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the families the people that you, you don't have to like but you apparently have to love like those people um yep. so how, i mean how do you deal with those family members that that they they takes they take and take and take and then the the moment you try to to take something they they turn around and oh you you, I, you know i can't do like how do you deal with that family member that's just they let's be honest they're a toxic family member i didn't want to say it but they are so how do you deal with that person who's continually hurting your feelings well when people show you who they really are you should probably believe them the first time instead of making them show you over and over and over again and we always talk about the definition of insanity being doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result if you know that that person is not going to be there for you when you need something but they're always there when they need something free from you why would you expect that to change just because you're hoping that it's going to change? So it, it really does come down to recognizing those boundaries and asking yourself, is it really the best thing for the, and, and maybe I love this person, but they have this, this inability to do anything for themselves before, you know, without coming to me and asking for me to help them. Is it really in service to that person to just keep doing things for them, which is crippling them and, and giving them a reason not to learn those skills for themselves? Or is it better for them if I step back and say, no, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You're going to have to figure it out for yourself. And yeah, they're going to be mad at me and they might resent me. There may be some backlash, but if they don't have another option, they're going to figure out how to do it themselves. And then one day when I'm not around anymore, they have those skills and they're not going to be crippled and handicapped and looking for someone else to swoop in and take care of them. And, you know, I, th I think with parents, we, we really all have this feeling like we have to protect our kids and make sure nothing bad ever happens to them and make sure that, you know, their feelings aren't hurt by, by the other kids and that they're included and that they never experience any kind of disappointment. But those kinds of things, when, when they are not taken too far, those kinds of things are what really teach us character and strength and resilience. Um, every bad thing that has ever happened to me in my life has taught me a new skill. It has taught me um, something that helped me kind of see something worse coming down the road that I probably would have had no idea how to deal with. Um, if I had had a life that, that I was, I'd never had to face a challenge. I never had to do anything by myself. I would, I would probably be living in a home with a full-time assistant right now because I wouldn't even be able to tie my shoes. I mean, that's, it's kind of an over the top example, but it really is when, when you're struggling, when you're having to kind of reach out of your comfort zone, that's when you're learning new skills, you're, you're gaining new wisdom and you are becoming a more resilient and adaptable person which is going to serve you so much better later in life than if somebody swept in and took care of you and did it for you. Amen to that. Cause I mean, you, you don't have to go far if you're flipping through channels to find 
the people who who literally grew up not having any type of hard work, you know, conflict, anything that made them a stronger person out of it. And I mean, I I wholeheartedly agree to an extent like we we don't want to you know see our kid about to fall flat on their face and say you know what right. they're gonna learn they're gonna learn from this like we don't want to we don't want to do this <laughs> but at the same time it's like you know I deal with my kids if if they come home and this person said something to me I didn't like all right what you gonna do about it like let's talk about it what you gonna do yeah about it? you have you have plenty of choices you can tell them how you feel you can not talk to that person anymore you can feel really bad about something somebody else did that has no effect on you whatsoever like let's talk about it so um i i think that was that was great and i i think before i let you go i i have i, I want you to give so we we can we can say people can get better sleep we can say people can you know eat healthier we can say people can get a hobby and, and take care of the mental health. What is one thing somebody can do one or two things maybe that can help with their stress levels right now? Because I know someone's listening and, and I know plenty of people are listening saying, you know what? She's absolutely right. But guess what? Until the kids are 18, this is my life, you know, and, and that person's going to go home and for three hours in bed, they're going to scroll through their phone and say, and say, Oh, I didn't get enough sleep. But what's something that you have maybe learned or learned from someone else that can help somebody with their stress right now? The most impactful thing that I think anybody could change that is going to affect absolutely everything about the quality of their life is to learn how to talk better to themselves, to, to learn how to value themselves, to stop criticizing themselves to give themselves the same empathy, the same compassion, the same understanding that they would give someone else. Most of us would never talk to another human the way we talk to ourselves. And we certainly wouldn't say the things to our kids that we say to ourselves, the hurtful, toxic, criticizing things that really poisons your self-worth and your self-esteem. When you are listening, we have, I think the, the average of like 60,000 thoughts per day and up to 80% of them are negative about us. And when you have that narrative rolling constantly 24 seven in your mind, it can't help but poison your self-worth. And that affects absolutely everything you do. It affects the job promotions that you may or may not go for. It affects the friends that you think you can have. It affects the treatment that you accept from other people, the person that you may or may not have the courage to go and ask for a date whether you're going to ask for that promotion, whether you're going to go for your dreams and start your business or play it safe and stay in the job that's miserable and killing you. It all comes down to how we talk to ourselves. So learning to value and trust and believe in yourself is the number one most impactful thing that I think any of us can do. And it's, it's an ongoing journey and it's going to be something that we work on every day for the rest of our lives, but we do have to work on it because the default programming of our brain is doom and gloom, negative problems, and I don't deserve this, and I'm not good enough, and we have to we have to recognize it. Number one, we have to know it's there, and then we have to have the tools to be able to to start shifting it and and moving it in a better direction. I that is that is literally what I say to people all the time, and. I like to take it a step further and, and I, 
I'm so happy that's what you said because I fall into this trap. And I think to the parents listening, I think it is so important that we ask our kids about how they talk to themselves in their heads because, and I know this, you're the guest, Natalie, but I just want to say one thing about the, a conversation I had with my daughter a few weeks ago, and she's the she's the one that goes up and down depending on how she played that game, what a teacher said about her, if her friends like her, all that good stuff. And, and I just saw that she was not in her, just her, her normal, like, happy-go-lucky, and, and I just asked her real quick, like, let me ask you real quick, like, what, how, how do you talk to yourself in your head? And it was that look she gave me where it's like, how does my dad know this? Like, how does he know? And I was like, I bet you call yourself stupid, don't you? And she had that look like, yeah, I do. And she's not, and she's nine. And this is why we have to have these conversations. And I said, I bet you tell yourself all the time, you should have known better. Yeah, I do. And I said, have you ever said that to your sister before? Have you ever said those things to your sister? You never said it to me. Never said it to your mother. Like, why do you treat yourself worse than you treat others? And she didn't have an answer. And I'm so glad you, you, you had that answer to that question because we need to call people out too because it'll be a, a, it, really quick. Oh, I'm so dumb. I should have known that. Wait a second. Wait a second. We all missed it. We all missed it. Yeah, it's because we have that story that we're not good enough. Everybody else is better than we are. And so that's why that's why I'm stupid, because I can't make other people like me, because I couldn't get all A's on my report card. Um, you know, whatever it is, we we look at things that are completely beyond our control, like what other people say, what other people do, and we make it our faults. And then we find fault with ourselves for not being able to do it better. And we find reasons to criticize ourselves and, and think of ourselves like a failure. And then we have to try harder. We have to do more. We have to, we have to give more of ourselves. We have to work harder. And it just becomes this, this giant negative snowball that just gets bigger and bigger as time goes on. Natalie, this has been absolutely wonderful. So if someone wants to get with you in regard to mental fitness, self-esteem, wellness, how can they find you online? How can they get with your wonderful program? Thank you. So my website is nolimitscoachingnow.com. And there is a big button right at the top of the page to book a free session. Um, there's also a newsletter I put out, uh, a short video, a motivational video every week. And they can sign up for that at the bottom of the page. There's also specifically because I feel so called to attack this monster of self-judgment that we all carry around with us. Um, I created a video that uh, they, can, they can get for free on the website. There's a button called Silencing Self-Judgment. And if they click that button, they can sign up for that video. And there's a whole series of um, instructional emails and, and teaching content that follows along after that. So all of that is to say that I, I hope that every person on this earth can start to learn how to talk better to themselves and believe and value themselves more than we did before. I, I would love nothing more than that. Natalie, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate all of your words. I, I hope 
if, if you're going through the stuff that she's mentioned and um, it's just hard for you to reach out and talk to somebody or no one's around you, reach out to Natalie. Reach out to her. Her website, you can pause the show right now and go to the show notes. Her website is right there. So reach out to her. Natalie, thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, as always, for listening to the 6AM Run podcast. Again, I'm your host, Mark Paisant. Please like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of this amazing content. If you can, we would love if you left us a review. Remember to follow us online and use hashtag 6AM Run to connect with the greatest group of runners and fitness enthusiasts in the world.